Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. So Israel had this period of time, 325, 350 years, where they operated under the rule of a judge. The judge was not a, mili- a, a, a political position, it was a military position. But the military position was, I'm just a military leader, so I don't know what we're going to do about taxes, I don't know what we're going to do about this, but we need more spears, so any <coughs> It was just this military position. And so for 300 some odd years, they operated with judges. There were several throughout Israel's history. And then Israel got to this place to where they looked around, like most teenage kids, on the first week of school, and they come home and they say this. It's not fair. Everybody else has a king. I don't have a king. Why can't I have a king? I want a king. And the judge says, God told you you don't get a king. No, you don't get a king. <laughs> they threw themselves on the floor. They stomped and, and whined and cried. Ah, oh, we want a king. We're not going to do anything. Tell me, give us a king. I'm not going to eat. I'm going to hold my breath. And they were like, so the judge at the time, the prophet as well, Samuel, was like, you know, this is this this sucks. This is bad. Because if you, if you get a king, bad things are going to happen. And God explained this to him. If you get a king, here's what a king is going to do. He's going to come in. He's going to tax you immediately. The best of what you make or get or produce is going to go to him. That's number one. Then he's going to take your sons off the war. He's going to take your daughters. He's going to put them to work. That's what's going to happen. The very best of what you have is going to go to the king. But that's okay because other people have kings and we, we, we want a king. God said, okay, I'll give you a king. He chooses a man. Young man. Young man by the name Saul. Who as scripture explains him, this is the, this is it. Now this is it. This is his explanation. He was head and shoulders taller than everyone else in Israel and good looking. Sounds like a qualified king, right? Isn't it weird how nothing has changed in the world? How do we elect? You can't wait. Honestly, you, if you're anything like me, you cannot wait for this next election to show up because you're thinking to yourself, I wonder who's going to show up. Who's going to walk right out of the crowd and be like, I think I'm going to throw my hat in. And you'd be like, I like this guy. You've seen this happen over multiple elections. You don't have to have experience. All you need to be is dynamic. That's it. You gotta have the right background, the right money. You gotta be eloquent, or in some cases not. <laughs> you can be smooth, or you can be a bull in a giant cabinet. Oh, you crazy, watch out. I mean, you just you do whatever. But we all wait to see who it is. And what we really hope for? Good looking. I remember when, I remember when, uh, I can't remember who was running, uh, maybe Mitt Romney and uh, Barack Obama, and the, the girls voted at school in their classes, and one of them had, one of them said, uh, I said, so who'd you vote for at school? And my oldest daughter, who is about justice, voted for Mitt Romney because Barack Obama already had a term. You already had your term. Move on. Share. The way she's wired. But my younger daughter, she's like, "Mm -mm, I voted for the brown guy. I like the way he talks. And I'm like, that summed up how I felt as well. Like, I don't really know where I'm at with the politics 
I love to hear him talk. Like, this so smooth. He was tall. He was good looking. But the way he came. It didn't go so well. If you can imagine. But you get a king and his credentials are tall, dashingly handsome. It's not really, you know, didn't go so well. He was somewhat of a tyrant. He was somewhat of a coward. What's crazy is he's a foot and a half taller than everybody else in Israel. But he's not the one on the front lines ready to do any fighting. Even at one point, if you go back and read, I'd have to find out as they are announcing who the king is, they can't find him. Where is he? Hiding. Hiding. Can you, can you see him? He's like, I don't know, seven foot tall, six and a half foot tall. He's hiding behind something small. Body parts just hanging out everywhere. So, so we can see you. So good here right now. <laughs> this is really the king. He's good looking. He's good looking. That's what we're going with. Israel thinks he's great for a while. But then he was given specific orders about how to handle a certain opponent, enemy. Go in, wipe them out. Wipe them out, wipe them out, wipe them out. I don't need to explain. Wipe them out, right? Gone. All of them. What about the sheep? All of it. All of it. What about the children? All of them. Those people did terrible things to Israel years ago. God's command is wipe them out. Saul thought maybe God was being a little eating. I don't know. Plus, they got a lot of really nice things, and we could use those things around here. Samuel, the prophet, Seer, the judge, who anointed him king, shows up and says, Saul, you were told to wipe them out. He goes, I did wipe them out. You were told to obey everything God says. He goes, oh, but I did obey everything God said. Then why am I here in sheep? Why am I hearing livestock? Well, we didn't do exactly, exactly. Right. Um, would you please clean your room? Yeah. Your floor is just, it's trash. Would you please clean your room? Yeah. So you go in later on and everything that's on the floor is now on the bed. Ta-da! Now you're in trouble. I kind of did what you said. You kind of are a manipulator. You kind of nod. So I was like, well, we had some ideas. Maybe we were going to use some to sacrifice to God. But I'm God, like sacrificing. Samuel looks at him and he says, you know what? God's going to tear this kingdom out of your hands. He's going to give it to somebody. Check this out. Imagine this insult to somebody better than me. At the same time, there's this other weird thing. For God to set in motion this idea of pulling Saul off the throne and putting somebody else there, he sends an evil spirit, this haunting spirit, that shows up and, and haunts Saul all the time, and he can't sleep. And so you know what it's like when you don't get sleep? You get a little maniacal if you're anything like me, right? You can be normal, and then you don't get any sleep, and you're just like, wow, you know, get that. And Saul is at that place. He's losing it. His spirit is always haunting him all the time. He's going crazy. Meanwhile, 
Samuel leaves the conversation with Saul. And God says to him, I'm going to take you to go see the new king. This guy's a tyrant. If he hears that I'm making a new king, I'm pouring oil on another king, I'm anointing another guy to be the king, he's going to kill me. He's like, it'll be all right, it'll be all right. Just keep it under your hat. I'll show you what you need to do. What you need to do. There's a guy I'm looking for named Jesse who lives in Bethlehem. Okay? He's got sons. I want you to go see him. But what I want you to do is I want you to go up like you make sacrifices and you feast. Then I want you to invite his family there. Okay. So when they say, what are you doing here? So we just came to make sacrifices. It's a peaceful thing. I just came to make sacrifices. Okay. Samuel goes, sends out the invitation to Jesse. Jesse has some sons. They show up. They're there. They make sacrifices. They're going to feast. And so Samuel, the seer, is waiting for God to say who it is. And here comes Jesse. And Jesse walks in. He's kind of an older man. But he's got these sons. And when his sons walk in, strapping lads. I mean, great, big, bulky lads. Good-looking dudes. First one's name is Eliab. The next one, Abinadab. And the next one, Shammah. When Eliab walks in the door, he's tall. And you know who he reminds you of? Saul. He looks like him. He's good-looking. He's strong. He's strapping. Listen, we like tall, big, tall, strong, good-looking kings. That's what we like. We like that. And when Eliab walks in the door, Samuel says, surely this is him. And God says, no. He says, but look at him. Look at him. He's like, I am looking at him, but I'm not looking at what you look at. You see, you look at the man, and you're like, he's so big and so strong, and I think you'd be awesome. But see, I'm God. I don't do that. I don't Well, if your dad's kind of a big dude, too, maybe we should go with no. Shema? No. Jesse said the sons. Walk by. <laughs> Jesse. And then Samuel was got to go. No. 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 Why did you invite us here? I don't know. <laughs> This all the boys you have? <clears throat> and this story gets a little weird because then the dad says, No. You travel to this place to make sacrifices and to feast with your family. And you left somebody at home? Is there one bigger? Is there a better, taller, even more good looking, massive man that you left to guard the home or whatever? Is this Oh, no, no. He's just a tot. Just a, just a wee boy. He's a... He's watching sheep. What did I tell you? By the way, in the Middle East, watching sheep, that's a girl's job. Anywhere between the ages of about 6 and 11, you can start watching sheep in the Middle East. No, we got another boy. He's, he's seen the sheep. I don't know what you do. I don't know what you're going to do. Tell me some prayer. We're not sitting down until he's here. Of course, you can see all the brothers, all the masculine brothers, all the testosterone in the room, right? Just like you know, everybody sizing each other up. Like they're probably going to pick me because I'm going to pick my face like a huge one. What are you with the little guy for? He, 
Somebody goes after the Lord. Here they come. They wait. Bible doesn't say how long they wait. It just says they wait. And they don't set up until he gets there. Here he comes in the door. Now you need to see him. You need to envision him in your head, all right? He's got this floppy hair, all right? He's just a kid. He kind of walks on his toes. He's sweaty like he just ran the whole way himself. And he just kind of walks in and he's just kind of happy. He's like, hey! What's going on? As soon as he walks in the door, God leans down to Samuel and he goes, that's it. For Samuel. He's like, the last king was really big and older. And this one is uh, adorable. Yeah. He's so cute. Him? That's it. Samuel pulls out this horn of oil, pours it on this board. It says, You. You can see this kid, I don't know, 12, 13, 14. He's like, okay, I don't know. Maybe I am or not. I don't know. Are we going to eat or no? Because hungry. And he's like, wow, who is this? Meanwhile, back to the palace, the attendants get together and they say, listen, Saul can't sleep. And if Saul can't sleep, then someone's probably going to die because he's insane. Let's see if we can find somebody who can... It, my brother-in-law, like he, he listens to CDs when he sleeps, you know, and he's got a really great harp instrumental CD. And when he listens to it, he sleeps. Maybe that word for King Saul. He's like, you know, find somebody, find somebody who can play the harp. Somebody steps forward and says this. I, I know, man. Now, interesting. Remember the description a minute ago, right? He's a shepherd. He's a boy. We leave him at home by himself. We're out in the field because we don't really know if we care about him. He's just, he's free labor. He doesn't eat a lot. But we can send him to the fields. And so it doesn't really matter. But then over here in the palace, there's somebody who says, oh, I know, I know a man. A man? And he goes on to explain. He says, yeah, yeah. He plays the harp well. In fact, he's a warrior. A warrior? You saw him come into the banquet just a minute ago. Did you see a warrior? Or did you see other warriors? And then you saw the little brother. He's a warrior. He's fierce. He's well-spoken. Oh, and you know what else? He's good-looking. Interesting. Two comparisons, isn't it? Saul's credentials... He's tall. I mean, he can just capture a room. Do you remember the, the, the movie Man vs. New Group? Do you remember Kronk? This guy? That's how I see King Saul. Like, all freaking brawn, no brains whatsoever. No heart, just does whatever, like run off a cliff, like all oh, that. That's him. You got David over on this other side. And they're explaining it. You know what's crazy to me? Is sometimes you've got to get away from your home and away from people close to you before you can ever really figure out that you are a lot better and a lot stronger than you thought you were. Because the people around you just see you as small, insignificant, and just that one kid of ours. 
And then you get away from that and you go somewhere else. Somebody else sees you and they say, wow, they're crazy. They said, we know a guy. He's one of the sons of Jesse. His name's Abinadab? You like? There's another one. There's three. There's three of them that are in, in our army. Shema, that's the other one, right? No, uh, David. Word gets sent back to Jesse and he says, Cannot. Can we have a boy? We want to play the harp for Saul. So he did. He went and played the harp for Saul. And it was amazing. When David showed up and he played the harp, the evil spirit left and Saul could get some sleep. In fact, Saul appreciated him so much he wrote a letter back to Jesse, David's dad, and said, Boy, you boy is something special. Your boy is something special. You know, I've really been struggling with some stuff, and your boy showed up, and he plays that harp like nobody's business. I am so appreciative. Thank you. And so David would go back and forth between the fields of his father and the palace of Saul, and he would play the harp here, and he would go back out there. And so think about who this boy is. He tends sheep, and he learns how to do stuff. <coughs> Why? Because have you ever just sat and watched sheep? Just watched them? Can you think of anything more boring? Just go watch them? Make sure something doesn't eat them. That's my whole job? Yeah, make sure something doesn't eat them. Okay. So back at the palace, he's now a full-time musician with the king. How do you get a gig like that? So, uh, what's your experience? I don't know, like a plate, it's a sheep. Okay, well, you'll do. We'll put you in the palace. one point, David's back with his father tending sheep. And he gets word from his father. His father wants to see him, brings him in. And he says, I need you to go see your brothers. I need you to bring back some, this is important, some assurance of their well-being. I want you to take this stuff to them. It's cheese wheels. Do you think your job sucks? Do you think you're insignificant? Do you watch sheep and deliver cheese wheels? You're probably doing okay, you know. So he loads up the donkey, bread, wine, cheese wheels. It takes off. It's crazy because during this time, Saul was this tyrant king. He was a warring king. And so he has been at war with, king, with, uh, with the Philistines for quite a while. Now here's what's important. is It says, for the last 40 days, Goliath, the giant, came out and taunted Israel. Now, I hope you didn't miss it. That was the film score. I just gave it to you. For the last 40 days, Goliath has been doing this. What that is? What that sound is? That 40 days? This is what it is. The music is kind of starting to elevate. What is this about? Because anytime you hear 40 days in the Bible, God's about to come in with like a judo shot. Pretty important. And Goliath taunted the armies of Israel for 40 days. There's only one other character in the film, this movie, and he's a little bitty tot, and he's carrying cheese wheels, not machine guns. 
brothers, three older brothers, had followed Saul off the war, and he were, they were in the trenches. And they must have been fairly close. David drops off the donkey and the cheese wheels and the, and the bread and the wine off with the, the attendant, and he skips over to where his brothers are. These big brothers, they're covered in military garb. They got on their patches. They're wearing these helmets. They got on these, they got these big swords and spears. You can see it on David like, this is so cool. And about that time, here comes this great big ogre type of dude. And he comes out and he screams obscenities to the army of Israel. Now, I might remind you, they call him the champion. Goliath is the champion. Do you know why they call him that? Because he's the biggest one there. So to save lives and to preserve nations, here's what we did. You pick your guy, we'll pick our guy, bring him in the middle, we'll fight, and then whoever wins, wins, and then we'll go different ways. We don't have to just slaughter each other. Let's make our best guys fight. We'll pick our tallest guy. You pick your tallest guy. We'll pick our strongest guy. You pick your strongest guy. We'll meet in the middle. Interesting, isn't it? And where is Saul? Oh, I know. He's not in the middle of the arena, is he? He's not in the valley of Elah. Goliath keeps saying, tell your man to come out. And Saul doesn't come. David walks in there. David is an idealist. Have you ever been around an idealist? It's just like in their mind, this is the way things work in life. This is the way it works. This is the way it works. You can't really argue with them. They're irritating. They're annoying. They're cocky. You know? But this is the way things always go. I'm like this kid. And David is kind of an idealist. Saul's kind of an opportunist. It's like, I don't know, I mean, if I can sneak up behind the leg, I might shake him, but uh, I'm going out in the middle. David says, uh, how long has this guy been doing this? His brother's like, shut up. How long has he been doing this? 40 days, you little moron, shut up. It's funny, if you read in scripture, you'll see this brother rivalry, this brotherly rivalry. Right there. It's, it's absolutely hilarious. First Samuel chapter 16, something <coughs> You'll see this rivalry. And at one point, David overhears these men talking. He says, You know, like I said, if I, any guy that goes out there kills Goliath, Saul's going to make his family wealthy. Make him immune to taxes. Get to marry one of the king's daughters. That's a pretty big deal. David says, Oh, excuse me, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean to eat up. What did you just say? Said, uh, if anybody goes out there and fights Goliath and kill him, family doesn't have to pay taxes, he's going to make him wealthy, he's married one of the dogs. David walks over to the other side. Hey, did you hear what this guy just said? David said, if someone kills Goliath, and Eliath, his brother, turns on him and said, hey, shut up, why are you even here? David responds, and this is in scripture, oh, can I even talk? That's in there. You should read it. So I go, can I even talk? And Eli said, I know why you're down here. I know why you're here. It's because you're a cocky, presumptuous little kid. Where did you leave those sheep with anyway? Who did you leave them with anyway? Those few sheep you got out in the desert, what are you doing? You abandoned them and now you think you're going to come down here? You know what you're probably doing? You're a bloodthirsty little weirdo. Wow. Really? You only came down here to watch men die. You little weirdo. This is man business. This is grown business. 
Dave keeps asking this question, hey, is this legit about this whole thing? Or he gets back to Saul. Hey, there's somebody down there asking, hey, can this be confirmed? This is what will happen to the man. Somebody down there asking this question. Say, who is it? Wait, they know each other, right? I mean, there's only one guy that's got access to the king's bedroom, right? And he's strumming him to sleep night after night, right? Who is this man who's down here asking questions? Uh, I don't know, but I'll, I'll go get him. You go get him and bring him up. David shows up. Can you imagine Saul's disappointment? Like, oh, now you're probably going to get eaten. No, this isn't going to go. And not even, that's a, you're a snack. You're a snack. You're just a little guy. David walks in, and this is, this is no lie. So, do not lose heart. Well, I was fighting this journey. And Saul said, you can't go fight the giant. Look, like look at you. You're, you're little. You can't go. This guy has been a fighting, warring man since he was a boy. You can't go fight him. And David stops him and he says, wait, wait, wait. But I, and you, you gotta read this. I've been watching the watch sheep. Was that supposed to, was that supposed to, like, oh, you been, you're a shepherd? Oh, I had no idea. Go get after it. Go get him. You'd be fine. You know? No. But I've been watching sheep. Oh, that's adorable. Did your dad know you're out here at all? Does anybody know where you are? And before the whole royal court can burst into laughter, David says, I've been watching sheep. And when a lion came, Snagged one of the sheep and ran off with it. Chased it down. And I struck it. And I killed it. And I did the same thing with the bear. And when both of those things turned on me, I grabbed them by the scruff of their neck, I struck them, and I killed them both. And the same God that's delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. You can see the comparison, right? You can look at it and be like, which would you rather fight? A man or the king of the jungle? A man or a lion? Well, here's what I know. I can outrun most men. I can outrun no lions. <laughs> like, that's the way I think. Like, if it gets bad and there's a man that's after me, I will run if I need to run. But a lion, I want to get caught. And he said, I'm not worried. So here's the story. He goes, they go. The royal attendants come and they begin to grab the stuff and start putting it on David. They put this whole garment on Saul's tunic. It looks, it looks like it's standing in his daddy's t-shirt. It's all the way down to his shins. And they get the helmet and it sits on him and he just spin it. He goes all the way around. This is so massive. And they gave him the sword and falling down and he put all the armor on and he's walking around. It says he tried to walk around and he's clanging around. And then David says this, I can't go out there in this. I'm not used to it. I'm not used to it? 
You wear 14s and kids. That's why you're not, you can't wear that. And he says, I'll be all right. Takes all the stuff off. It says he grabs his shepherd's staff. And takes off. He comes down the mountain. There's a little stream right there. And there's these, bowl, there's these little pebbles. And they're perfectly smooth and round. And I, I did, some, did some research on the stream that runs through there. And it's talking about how inside of this stream, all of these, all of these rocks are perfectly symmetrical. But they've just been tumbled and they're so long. The water has washed over them so long. These rocks are just perfectly symmetrical. And it says he takes five and he puts them in the shepherd's bag, which I think is Hebrew for fanny packs, but I don't know. It looks like it, but I don't know. Get snagged, you know, like that deal. Really? Ha! 
and he grabs him. Like, that's what I'm thinking. Like, this is what's going to happen. And he gets there, grabs the, grabs the sword out of the big scabbard, you know, like. And he's got the lion's sword. He drops it with every single bit of strength that he has. And he lops this giant's head off. Do you remember the phrase, bring back some assurance of your brother's well-being? He did. It was a head. It says that David went over and he got the head. And he started off. As David was running down the valley to go fight this guy, King Saul looks at his commander, Abner, and he says, Who's, whose boy is that? He's the Saul guy. He, but he's the Saul guy. It's the son. Interesting phrase with me. Whose son is that? He jets all the way out there and he fights Goliath. And on his way back with his big head, Saul says, Abner, who is that? And Abner, Abner funny because he says, Surely, king, as you live, I have no clue. But I'll find out. And off he goes. He goes and he finds the uh, excuse me, uh, son, sir, uh, King would like to see you. Oh, okay. The big head, no helmet, just hair and, and blood dripping down onto his sandal feet. And he's dragging this big sword. It's about 14 sizes too big. You know, just dragging it in a trail of dust behind him all the way to King Saul. And here sits King Saul. You know what I think? I think there would be nothing more humiliating than somebody else fighting your fight for you. If you're King Saul, you should feel like a real heel out there. Not only did somebody stood up and fought your battle, but you are Israel's champion. But who fought your battle? It's this kid. He comes walking up and he stands before him. And Saul is just in this place of life. I mean, Israel took out after the Philistines. They chased them for miles. There were dead bodies for miles. Israel slaughtered the Philistines. Saul should be thrilled, but Saul's got a question in his head, and he can't get rid of it. Three times, Scripture says he asked the question, whose son is that? Abner, go find out whose son that is. And then as David is standing there in front of him, with this head of a giant dripping blood on the royal linoleum, just rolling around, with this big sword and this sweaty boy who's just grinning wearing a fanny pack, Saul says, Whose son are you? And David must have had that. Uh, hello? I'm David. I'm, I'm the son of Jesse, your servant from Bethlehem. Three things a man must do. 
man must be plowed. What a sad state of a man is the one who figures out how to go to work and then come home, not interact with his family, put his feet up, drink his beer, go to the shop, go do more work, find a way to get away from the civilization and the home that you built, and just set in his ways. Guys who say things like, I'm the kind of guy that they like to put their feet up and they like to drink beer and that's what they like to do and it's over. That's it. You're checked out. They're no longer an active participant in their own life because they're no longer playing. God cannot go any further with you because you're not willing to go any further with God. If you are not pliable, if you do not stay in that consistency to where God can continue to mold you no matter your age, you'll have to be done with it. You'll have to be done with it. Man must be pliable. You take a look at David's life. You've got this picture of this kid whose heart is just about whatever. Whatever. I don't know what's coming down the line. What's next? What is it that my father wants me to do? Right now, my father wants me to watch sheep. Right now, my father wants me to deliver cheese wheels. Right now, my brother wants me to shut up. Okay. Right now, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. You see, and if there's a heart that's pliable and willing to alter to alter itself or its direction and go a different direction for God, that's a pliable heart. <coughs> Second thing that a man must be is curious. This. We used to tip rocks over to see what was underneath them. Right? That's the reason we did it. We used to get down there, risk our fingers because there's pythons underneath them, and tip rocks over because we were curious. We should smell things that we probably shouldn't have smelled. We should taste things we probably shouldn't have tasted. Stick our hands in buckets of stuff that we probably shouldn't have stuck our hands in buckets of. <coughs> We jump off of things. <coughs> this is the way we work. We had this sort of inquisitiveness that was always causing us to question something else that was going on. What happened? We're not curious. We know it all now. We're not interested in what's under the rock. We used to ask out girls because we wanted to know if they liked us too. Some of you would actually work with them, surprised. <laughs> but we were curious. In fact, I read an article uh, yesterday uh, from Forbes, uh, Forbes magazine on one. They just talked about one of the greatest characteristics of a leader is curiosity. Why? Because curiosity forces you to adapt. You don't know what's coming down the road. Curiosity says, I'm going to set myself up for a surprise. But as we get older as men, we like to get in that place where no surprises. I just want this to happen this way. I just want this to work this way. When we were kids, no way. You see, it was a curious heart that caused David to learn how to play the harp anyway. That's why anybody drinks an instrument. I know. 
myself. If I can play the guitar, chicks would dig it. Chicks dig it. It's cool. But if it's a curiosity, I wonder if I can do it. We'll figure this thing out. Why did David learn how to play the harp? Because he's not going to sit there and just be stagnant. If I've got a setup here, then I'm going to learn how to do something before I lose my freaking mind. And he learned how to play the harp. Was it curiosity that stuck him in that place where he learned how to be so proficient with a rock and a leather strap? Curiosity. Curiosity is what got him in front of the king playing the harp. Curiosity is what got him over there asking questions about, hey, so what could be done for the guy that actually kills this guy? Curiosity got an audience with the king. See, that's pretty awesome. Man must be pliable. Man must be curious. The third thing is, man must be courageous. Unrecognizably courageous. We're all going to narrate running about our life and who we are. Who we are through the eyes of our father, who we are through the eyes of our friends, who we are through the eyes of the people in our community, our bosses. They all have an idea of who we are. You know what I love about this story, though? Is that there is this... This, this place in time, right in the middle, to where all of a sudden Saul cannot even recognize the man, the man who was closest to him. He can't recognize him. Why? Because courage does something like that to you. Courage does something to the way you look. You are unrecognizably courageous. It changes your face. You don't look the same. When you are in that place, let's see, that kind of courage doesn't isn't something you just muster up. You don't just, okay, I'm going to be brave now. It's not it. You see, unrecognizably courageous people have an unrecognizably courageous faith. You see, because courage is built on the idea that my history with God is, is, is 100% intact. We have a running history of God showing up in my life. We have a running history of God taking care of me. Do you remember the times God intervened in your life? You were stuck. You didn't think anybody was coming to help. And then he showed up. Can you think of one now? Can you think of another? Can you think of another? All David did for courageous faith and to be that, to have that kind of courage was to show up with this pocket full, this fanny pack full of all the times that God came through. And see, all I need in life, you need to be courageous, is to remember all the times that God came through for me. I can remember them. I can remember them. Moments to where I thought, I'm not going to make it. This isn't going to work. Financially, this is not going to work. Health-wise, this is not going to work. We're in a bad spot. My marriage is broken. This is not going to work. And every single time, God showed up. Why am I going to doubt him now? You better move out of my way. i got a fanny pack full of rocks, and I'm not happy. He's on my team. He loves me. Why would I ever doubt him? See, having courageous faith makes you unrecognizable. Courageous. Puts us in that position where the people around us begin to change the narrative about who you are. You see, God can use a terrible, broken man. But he can't use a rebellious one. 
He can't use a stagnant one. He can't, he can't use one that's stuck in his ways. He can use a broken one. But he can't use one that is rebellious. We must be pliable. We must be curious. We must be courageous. People around us begin to ask questions like, what is going on I don't recognize them. They've changed. Something's different about them. Yeah, I'm clean and sober. A wonder. Yeah, got out of debt. A wonder. Yeah, I started going to the gym. I didn't think I, I no wonder. It's because I'm at peace in my soul. No wonder. It gives us the opportunity for people to come to us and say, can you explain something to me? Whose are you? Ooh, 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 let me answer. Ooh, let me answer. Let me answer. God is the Father. He cares for me. He loves me. And for something about me that you see that you go, man, that's strong. That's that's special. That's because God is for me. gives us that opportunity to tell that story. Because it forces questions on people that they were not asking before. Men, we have to be pliable. We have to be curious. We have to be courageous. Those are the things we have to do. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much for everything you've done for us. For the ask that you will strengthen us, strengthen our hearts. We thank you for these wonderful stories that, uh, that inspire us to do this world. Jesus, in Have a wonderful afternoon.